Good morning. Thank you for inviting us here this morning. You're all excited, intrigued. Um, so we'd like to share with you a little bit more behind our Meaningful Brand Index and a little bit more of the why, the what, and the how. Because we believe that you can do well by doing good. And you can create value by meaning. So some of you may be familiar with this statistic. I should have tested you first. Um, so what we found through our meaningful work is that people would not care if 70% of brands disappeared tomorrow. 70%. And only 20% of brands globally are perceived to be notably contributing to our quality of life. This is quite a worrying statistic for us sitting here in our marketing towers thinking that we're actually doing good. And the situation is even a little bit more dramatic in the cynical northern European markets and in the USA, where you can see that less than 10% of brands are perceived to be contributing to our quality of life and that people wouldn't care if over 90% of brands disappeared tomorrow. So what we see is that really trust and relationships are largely broken between people and brands. So we need to think about why is that and how can we start to rebuild these relationships to ones that really matter and will make a difference from a business perspective. We see that we're in this paradigm shift and we're moving from this industrial world, this industrial area of more stuff, cheaper, faster now, to something that actually makes a fundamental difference to people's lives, to us. What makes us feel smarter? What makes us feel wiser? What makes us feel fitter? What brings us closer to others? And we're not talking about a total utopian shift where everything is beautiful and we eat ice cream every day. We're talking about something that makes a tangible difference to our, our lives, our everyday lives. And so in order to understand these changing relationships between people and brands, we are continuing to commit to our Meaningful Brand Study. And we've just um, come out of our last field work earlier this year where we spoke and we liaised, we heard from 134,000 people across the globe, across 23 markets, across 12, 12 industries for over 700 brands. So it's pretty scalable, pretty sizable in its scope. And from this, we can start to understand from a holistic perspective, from a holistic well-being perspective, what people perceive to be performing well and, and where the opportunities are to start closing those gaps. And so we see from this, we can look at different performance opportunities that actually go beyond just marketing results we can see that those brands that are able to realize these wider dimensions of well-being, of human well-being, are seen to be performing dramatically, um, outperforming the marketplace from a business perspective. And so the top 25 global meaningful brands outperform the stock market by 120% when we're looking at the stock price. The stock's at 1,800. And for those marketers in the room as well, just to ground this, we do see when we're looking through the consumer decision journey that you are, it's building on to what Jason was saying as well, you are likely to see higher performance when it comes to purchase intent as well as advocacy. 
So this is really a case that if you're able to realize on these different dimensions of well-being, you will, you will be rewarded with greater attachment, loyalty, marketing performance, when we look at the traditional brand measures, as well as business performance. So the framework which helps us evaluate how and where your brands are perceived to be performing is based on these three generations of brands. Functional, aspirational, and meaningful. So functional is a space where we find ourselves in a number of categories today with an abundance of choice where we are competing on price. Aspirational is where we are giving some form of differentiation to people. And meaningful is where we're making a tangible, concrete difference to people's lives. And it, it's not the case that all brands will be meaningful, and there are certain categories that lend yourself naturally to being more meaningful. But the reality is staying in that functional space is not sustainable. You're throwing, you're wasting marketing dollars in order to, to maintain that level of attachment. So let's just explain to you a little bit more about the key well-being dimensions that make up our Meaningful Brand Index. We have three areas, so there's the core product service, and we ask, does this brand um, offer a range of products? Are they of high quality? Are they safe and responsible? Do they listen and care about consumers? We then ask about these seven different dimensions of personal well-being, really trying to ground this in concrete, tangible outcomes. So does this brand help me feel fitter? Does this brand help me feel healthier? Does this brand help me manage my money? Does this brand help me strengthen current relationships? Does this brand help me create new relationships? Does this brand help me reduce, reuse, recycle? Does this brand help make my life easier? We all need the easy button today. Um, and does this brand make me feel happier? There are 44 attributes that sit within each of these different, uh, underneath all these different dimensions. And then when we look at collective well-being, we have the key dimensions of government and ethics. Are you ethical and transparent? Do you contribute to the economy? Are you a good place to work? Do you support local suppliers? Do you support the local community? Do you support local charities? Uh, are you a sustainable leader? Do you recycle? Are you reducing your packaging? So all of these 44 or so attributes sit within, underneath these 13, 13 different dimensions of well-being, allow us to understand how you are perceived to be performing, and also, what is important for your category? What is important to drive people's decisioning through the consumer journey and therefore increase your brand equity? What we see when we're looking at the top performing meaningful brands is that those brands who are able to realize more on these different dimensions are naturally rewarded with greater attachment and loyalty. So you have our meaningful brand index on the x-axis and then the attachment on the y. And what we found in this most recent wave is that technology, retail, and CPG are amongst the top performing brands. And this is really as they are delivering on these daily, everyday needs that we increasingly have in today's world. And these are perceptions tied to consumer behaviors and consumer actions. And it allows us to start to peel back the onion to see 
well, I know I've got a great initiative over here, but why am I not perceived to be as meaningful and as attached? And we can start to look at what are the particular levers I need to realize more in order to increase that attachment and, and that loyalty in my business performance. There are naturally certain dimensions, particularly when we look at personal and collective, that are more relevant to different categories. Um, so you can think about from an, an ITC, um, personal care, where those are more directly tied to personal well-being. Um, and then you can see those, for example, such as energy and financial insurance, they are seen to be, um, the, the collective drivers are, are more of an impact on brand equity. But it is a holistic approach that really will earn you a top performer place. And so I just wanted to show you a little bit of the, how we start to dissect that and how it can come to life. So we know that being meaningful matters today because it ties back to business performance. We know we need to consider from a what perspective a range of these different dimensions. And here's a way, so IKEA is one of the top performing retail brands. If you think about marketplace, personal, and collective well-being, they are perceived to be performing well in that they bring innovative products to the marketplace at fair prices. They provide a wide range, and they are very useful products. But they also realize on this personal well-being perspective. They help to make your life easier. They uh, allow you to learn new things. They inspire you to redecorate and renovate. Um, and they have great heritage in the environmental space in terms of the core of their products, the sourcing. And then you can see how it all links together with the innovative work they do with their digital catalog that they provide. And they are very strong in their government and ethics. So you can start to, we're talking unpacking again, you can start to see some of the areas where they are perceived to be performing well. And how they do this is that we believe that they have a, a brand archetypical role of a mentor. And this is not dissimilar. We can think about Home Depot and others who are behaving increasingly in this way. So um, we believe that IKEA are here to guide us as people, to inspire us to create new, to learn new, and to, and to do more things. From, for example, the both the physical and the virtual, you have a sleepover event in a UK store, which is now the top performing um, store in terms of bedroom furniture, to the virtual space where they have a community here in the US inviting people to share how they've been renovating their rooms. So it's really arming us and giving us the tools to, to do more. Um, to the life improvement project, to focusing on some quirky celebrities and how they have been able to, to renovate and reframe their space. So these are the very tangible ways that IKEA is actually bringing us um, and helping us improve our well-being and our lives. What we can see from this study, this, this new wave that we've just uh, recently been sharing with you, is that personal well-being is essential in today's world. What we also see when it comes to the U.S. in particular is that if you want to be a top-performing brand, you need to realize on these collective dimensions as well. And particularly when it comes to environment and community, these are two dimensions which uh, had a significant contribution to your overall performance. 
But it's not in isolation. Everything is interconnected. It's a holistic well-being perspective. And so that means that every possible opportunity that you have to speak with your current customers, with people who may be potential customers, you need to think about how everything is, in, is interconnected. You are transparent, authentic, in concrete in what you promise and to what you realize. And what we believe is that the most successful brands are very much have all of their activities and their beliefs anchored to the core of the product and service. There is a significant relevance, and people are already expecting you to carry out these kind of activities. It's also tied back to the core purpose, the core DNA of your brand that spreads out from the employees at the core all the way to your local communities. And we, need to th we believe that also you need to be very much in keeping with your brand archetypical role that you have established and you continue to build on that. And that increasingly today, in order to scale your initiatives, social and participatory models are the way forwards. We've seen it. We've talked about Tom's. Warby Parker is not dissimilar. You think about the founders who really have put their firm beliefs at the center of the organization and the core purpose of the organization. And then you have even the more cynical energy companies. If you think about the French energy company, EDF, who are moving into a British marketplace, rather, the rather cynical British were like, how can I possibly even entertain going with a French energy company? Through a philosophy and um, a, stra a strategy of collective action, they have invited the British public to actually participate and to change um, and carry out new environmental initiatives that make a difference to their world, grounded very much in the core beliefs and systems of the UK. And that is, it's risen, it's allowed them to really build a role as a credible Olympic provider, and they invited even more participatory um, behavior from throughout, throughout the Olympics when we're talking about lighting up the nation. So that there are more more and more scalable models that are coming, coming to the forefront if we invite and allow people to participate. So thank you. You can do well by doing good. Think holistically and, and then think about how you can invite more people to come and play. Thank you. Uh, Amy, so you spoke of core purpose and core DNA, mm -hmm. and we think of those as fixed things. In fact, the latest research on DNA says it's actually not even fixed. You don't have one same DNA genome in your entire body, so for you science geeks, everything's changing. But, but to here, um, where does that come from? We heard earlier today about Subway mm -hmm. significantly changing its positioning in the marketplace. Where, where does core purpose and core DNA come from, and how do they change? Do you, does your research give us any insight? into that? I, I think what we see, just to sort of unpack your question a little bit, mm. um, there are brands, new brands that are entering our, into our marketplace today, um, notably actually from emerging markets as well, who are starting off with a very core purpose, a very, that's tied to their whole product and service offering, and, and they are continuing to build on that, but it's in a very um, deep-rooted way. Mm -hmm. Whereas perhaps the more established brands and businesses are evolving 
uh, as we go. Um, but part of the reality of today's transparent world and abundance of technology is that people are unwilling and unforgiving if you as a brand say you're on the left when you're actually on the right mm -hmm. and that people today have the power to pull brand and destroy brands. Thank you. There's another, another stock index focusing on the purpose-driven company. Rob Shihoda and a number of other people have done that, looking at a 10x impact on market performance. Perhaps Paul Herman tomorrow can give us a sense of the reality of that. But it's interesting there's a number of indexes like yours that are seeing significant differentiation of value in the stock market. Do you have any questions? Yes, please. Helen Sahi with Avery Dennison. And I have part observation and part question is when I look at all these um, meaningful brand indices, yours or others, what to me is striking is the apparel industry is not up there, other than Nike and Adidas on, on this one. And they're the ones that are constantly targeted by toxic threads, by, um, you know, other, other uh, campaigns. Um, but you don't have, like, Puma up there with an EP&L. You don't have Patagonia with their don't buy this. And mm -hmm. any of these sustainability indices, they just don't appear. And the retail industry is a huge, and not only are they a huge industry, but they're a growing industry. And just curious, you know, what you've seen and some of your comments around them. It's a, a good question. And, and there's part of the reality of how we've grown. So we started off... Um, conducting our field work in 2008 based in sustainability, and we've now grown to this holistic well-being perspective. Um, but it's very much a grown at an organic level, so we do not have a complete set of all the brands. But in the next wave, the likes of Puma and Patagonia will be incorporated. Um, we have got a few other clothing brands, sort of Zara and H&M, that do seem to perform pretty well, actually. Um, but still, this is where you can look at some of the different perceptions that we can start to overcome or, or on where some of those gaps are. Thank you. Um, I'm Carmen Perez from CCP, And I just was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about your um, kind of continuum you had about brands being functional, aspirational, meaningful. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's something that a brand can move between? Is the goal for all to become meaningful or are you you know, maybe stuck in a particular area and maybe give us some examples of who would be in each one. Sure. Um, so that the paradigm or the, the three generations, functional, aspiration, and meaningful, um, we see that some brands, many brands, there's an opportunity to, to create and to move up that pathway. That said, it doesn't happen to ha have to happen in a linear fashion. You may be a functional brand today, um, but then with a lot of effort, reframing, revealing, reframing, redesigning, you could leapfrog to, to be a meaningful brand. Um, so there, there are opportunities to, to move around. And if you're a meaningful brand today, that doesn't mean you can sit back either because you have these new model disruptors, whether we're talking about Amazon, Net-A-Porter, that are coming in and totally transforming and, and bringing in new category models. Um, now, the, the functional brands today is where we'd really challenge that we need, to help, we need to think about ways that you can move up from that functional space because you're, you're just throwing money at the problem rather than kind of diving in to start fixing that solution. So um, there are certain categories that are more functional, so energy, financial insurance, but in every instance, we see brands that are able to counter those category limits. So we have Fidelity, who's a top performer, for example, in the U.S. 
um, who are more meaningful rather than the category majority, which is in the, fu in the functional space. We have Petrograss in Brazil, who is one of the top meaningful brands. So there are possibilities to, to totally break those category norms. Hi, my name is Carl Olson. I'm from Novo Nordisk. Um, I was very curious about this study you have, and I was just wondering if there is a disconnect between what you find and how company actually perceives themselves. Because that would be interesting to know if some of the <coughs> companies that were in the functional category mm. also perceive themselves as being in the, in the functional category or, or in a different category. Mm. Is there like a disconnect, or does it... Yes, we, 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 we do find that sometimes, and we'd very much suggest that, that our framework and our index is a complement to existing research that you can start to then compare and contrast, or why are these perceptions different to what I would expect or what other surveys may, may tell us. So um, we've had some interesting discussions with luxury, for example, recently, and, and this is where many of the luxury brands are in the, the more functional space, but then this is where we have the opportunity to, to think about reframing the definitions of luxury. And so that's when we think about, so luxury uh, from a functional perspective is about a little bit more about exclusivity, whereas a meaningful luxury brand in 21st century terms could be something that actually is more about purposeful experiences. And so there's a, a deeper relationship. Hi, Libby Burnick at TrueCost. Uh, I'm curious about something. We heard from Mission Markets about a social value proposition, and uh, as Mr. Saul was describing that, it sounded like valuing a brand. And then you spoke to us about this intangible value and how customers perceive the brand. Are you all talking about the same thing? I, I, I think I'm ready to do a little exercise that we should compare and tr contrast our attributes because there seems to be a, a natural complementary layer and there may be a few differences that then we could see how the findings, findings differentiate. Um, I think there's definitely, the, from what I was seeing, Jason, keep me on the straight and narrow, but the, you have a lot of the core marketplace components and you had a little bit about making my life easier. And, and then also some of those collective dimensions. So there may just be, uh, there's a nice compliment, I think. There may be a few, few added extras that perhaps um, we can add together. And perhaps it, it, people and stakeholders from the business leaders to employees to the wider communities. Uh, Nancy Curl in Franklin and Marshall College. I wanted to um, actually bring Jason into the conversation as well. So I'm curious uh, if the two of you, or in general, that there's uh, people are advocating now for a ch an ideological shift in corporate social responsibility from a focus on social stewardship to individual consumption. And then going back to the woman's question to Jason earlier, what are the implications for larger social and environmental transformative change if we do focus on such an individual level? Thanks for the question. I think it further elucidates this discussion. I think that uh, there, there are two points here. The first is that um, we have um, we need to start to think about of the whole universe of things that we could do that are good. How do we find the subset of good that actually matters to our business? And my first point was that what matters to our business traditionally has meant cost containment, risk reduction, and compliance. That's fine, but 
I think what also matters to our business is growth and market share, loyalty, sales. And we need to not just dance around this anymore, but actually directly measure the link to consumer behavior of this stuff. So I think that's one important point. But the, but the bigger point is that if we want companies to continue to do good, we actually need to be able to um, justify it more than just a post hoc rationalization of, oh, you know, employees like working for companies that do good. In the long run, we'll all be better. It's just not cutting it in the C-suite today. It's nice, but it's not cutting it. And so if we actually want an, a sustainable business model for sustainability, we got to get our act together and be sharper in our measurement and more directly correlated to the actual value that we're producing for businesses. Um, I think that's a really important point. And then the second point is that I think we have um, need to be mindful of the fact that there are intrinsic benefits, not just extrinsic benefits. And most of what I see in many companies is producing extrinsic things that are nice for everybody else in society. But when I talk to Walmart customers, they're like, I don't want to hear about how you're doing some good for United Way. Like, help me. I'm hungry. Um, I'm talking to employees at Disney, and they're like, why are you giving money to these other charities when you're paying me as a cast member uh, five bucks an hour, and I'm starving, and I have to go to these charities to get fed? So um, I think we're missing the point and a lot of the social good because in point of fact... It could very well be that our greatest opportunity for social impact is with our own consumers. That's my point. So there's, there's a challenge here in the history of, of, of CSR and sustainability because these are functions that have grown out of, on the one hand, EHS regulatory compliance, and on the other hand, philanthropy, community affairs, government relations, none of them embedded in the business. With the embedded in the value generation of the business and the responsibilities of the business, and that's the evolution that we're seeing here and that we're talking about here. Last question for the session. Well, if, I, if I could just add, add to that for two, two seconds, is that we're talking about taking the collective well-being elements and anchoring them back to the core product, the core product and service, and to the personal well-being dimensions of what matters to me. And in our world today, where we have this uber-connectivity with each other, we have the possibility to really scale these initiatives, both virtual and in the physical world. Thank you. Last question. Hi, Dr. Andrew DeBolak, uh, AGO360. Um, one point, starting with uh, what you said. We need to uh, take sustainability down to measures where government is driving initiatives. I think we can already start to look at Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Seattle, uh, Antonio, where they're starting to bring sustainability directly into uh, integrated reporting. Um, these measures are around uh, carbon, environment, um, water, and energy. Now, another point where we look at your point of core values. Core values is absolutely spot on. If you don't start with your core values, you cannot anticipate nor uh, promulgate your risk. I think one of the messages that Jason, that I'm a little concerned with, is that you're saying, hey, we've got to worry about the consumer now. Now, maybe I'm taking this wrong. But if we're starting to tell the C-suite people, hey, it's about the consumer now, it's no longer about our people, what message are we saying? We're either saying we got it wrong to start with, or we're saying, well, there's a whole other thing we've got to worry about now. Let's forget about over there. So what would your response be to that? I would love to continue this discussion over, over lunch, too, however we can do that. But I, uh, because I think there's a lot of different points about that. Very briefly, my point is, it's about all these stakeholders. I think we need to incorporate the consumer, not solely focus on them exclusively, but I think we've ignored them. 
frankly, for way too long. And I think you're seeing phenomenal research uh, like this and others uh, that are saying, hey, wait, they got a voice. And uh, again, my simple point is uh, it, it's a factor into a calculus of what social impact is going to benefit our business. But I think we've ignored the, the very important variable of consumers for too long. Okay. I, we would continue to impress that it's an inside-out. You know, you've got to make sure that you have your leaders who really embody the intent, the core values, the proposition, and that that is naturally um, embodied through the employees, through the local communities. But to Jason's point, though, listening and being more in tune as to what people really need and what really matters to make a difference in their lives, um, rather than just trying to sell more stuff, that is the real opportunity for us today. Okay. Thank you. Um, that, that's all we have time for right now. Join me in thanking Amy for the presentation. And, uh,